like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke one more time. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 35. Luke 13, 22 to 35. It's a lengthy section, so I will be reading the text within the sermon today. Luke 13, 22 to 35. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us with your truth now. Reveal to us our own hearts and where we stand before you. Help us to not stand in our own confidence, but to stand in the confidence that is in Christ and Christ alone. We pray that your word would go forth and accomplish that which you purpose it to do in every hearer of your word. Draw lost people to yourself, Lord, and give assurance to those who are saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In discussing the Christian faith uh, many years ago with my unbelieving father, I remember one particular conversation that I had with him. And he used a, a common analogy that some still use today. And he said something to the fact that, that just as there are many roads that reach a destination, so there are many ways to reach heaven. Those who hold to such a view, would believe that the many religions of our world, they're really essentially the same. They're just, and they are just simply similar, but yet in, in, in legitimate ways that mankind reaches toward God who created them. And as much as you and I might want this to be true, we would love that all the religions were really just the same, that everyone's really saved in, in the end. The inconvenient truth is that the Christian faith, as revealed in the Scriptures, and particularly the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, teaches that there is only one way to God. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. Jesus taught that the way to God is only through Him, not through our ancestors, not through Buddha, not through Allah, not through Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, or the myriad Hindu gods, not through any work of human hands or philosophy of man. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. As Peter would state in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. It's only the name of Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. Today's passage reminds us of the need to enter through the narrow door of faith that is in Jesus Christ. For then, in Jesus' day as well as now, many believe that they are good with God. They're good because on the basis of their own deeds or their own religion, and not on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
The Gospel of Luke has been written for us so that you and I may know and have assurance of the things that we've been taught about our Christian faith, about Christ himself. That Jesus is the Messianic Son of Man who has come to bring salvation and to bring into bring bring in the kingdom of God. And in this lengthy section of the Gospel of Luke, from chapters 10 through 19, Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem. And as he heads towards the city of David, he faces increasing rejection, as well as prepares his disciples for his departure. In the previous passage, Jesus had thought, taught on the nature of the kingdom of God, that it is a kingdom for those prisoners who are released from bondage of sin. The kingdom is for those who are sick, those who know that they're sinners. Those who aren't sick don't need a doctor, Jesus says elsewhere. It's a kingdom of prisoners who are freed from, need, who are freed from the bondage of sin. It's a kingdom for everyone and, from, for, and everyone and from every tribe and from every place. In today's text, Jesus, in answer to a question, warns the Israelites to make sure that they enter through the narrow door. And while his message directed primarily toward the Israelites of his day, the nation of Israel, it is a message whose application applies to all who hear his word today. Two truths, as are outlined today, two truths that warn the listener, to you and me, to be sure that you are entering the kingdom through the narrow door of Jesus Christ. Two truths that effectively warn us to make sure that we enter into eternity, enter into the salvation through the narrow door of Jesus Christ. Uh, the two warnings that we find here in this text correlate basically with two coincidental events. They're bound together by two common themes, the mention of Jerusalem as well as the prophets. In the first uh, warning that we find here, or the first truth that we find here that serves as a warning, is that the door is narrow. The door is narrow that enters into the kingdom of God. It is, is a, effectively Jesus' warning to his fellow Israelite listeners. Verses 20 to 23 provide us the setting. And in this verse 22 to 23, we see uh, the question of who enters the kingdom. Verse 22 23, look there with me. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? The setting has Jesus once again on the road to Jerusalem. Recall back in chapter 9, verse 51, uh, the, basically the beginning of this middle section, there we read that when the days were approaching for his ascension, he, that is Jesus, was determined to go to Jerusalem. See, for Luke, Jesus' ministry upon leaving Galilee wasn't just to, to teach in other cities and villages of Judea and Perea before getting into Jerusalem. That, that is what Jesus does. But more, even more so, it is an intentional direction toward his death on the cross in Jerusalem. His earthly purpose, Jesus' ministry, had been twofold, really. Number one, it was to preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. But number two, he came to die on the cross. And Luke tells us that Jesus intentionally heads towards Jerusalem. And the question that, is, that arises 
is uh, that someone asks, uh, is whether only a few are being saved. The present tense here, are being saved, refers to God's work of saving uh, for a future time. You're being saved for something. You're being saved basically to enter into the kingdom of God. It looks to this future entrance and participation in the kingdom of God. A lot of times we don't think in these terms these days. We tend to simply think about enter into heaven. And certainly when we die and we, in Christ, we will enter into heaven with Him. But there is, even until then, until there's, there is still this ultimate future time when Jesus Christ will return again, He will establish His kingdom of, His kingdom on earth. And this, this kingdom will be God's kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven. And it is, it is still waiting for us, and it is a kingdom where all those who believe in Christ will be a part. The question asks, rather, who is going to enter the kingdom of God? Is it going to be a few people, or is it going to be many people? Now this question is an insightful question, because in those days, the majority of Jewish people believed that if you were a Jew, it essentially meant that you automatically would enter the kingdom because you were a descendant of Abraham, because you had the law and the prophets. But Jesus surprisingly answers in verse 24 to 28 that few will enter the kingdom. Verse 24, 28, actually pick up the last part of verse 23. And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Verse 24 is the key verse in this whole passage. In answer to the question, Jesus commands his listeners to strive to enter through the narrow door. It's a command. Jesus had taught this at another point in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, which we read for our call to worship. There he used the, the imagery of the narrow gate and the narrow road. Here he talks about a narrow door. See, the entrance into the kingdom of God is through a narrow door. The imagery conveys that salvation is not as common as one thinks. It's not a broad and open path that everybody just walks through. It's a hard-to-find path. It's a small path. It's a small way that people can enter in. It's not as automatic as people thought. It's not easy to find. And Jesus explains when he says, For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able there will be a day, and it's going to be described through his parable, that people are going to try to enter the kingdom, but they're not going to be able to enter. And what's more is his continued use of the second person plural pronouns throughout the, the you, 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 all throughout these verses indicate that the many who are going to try to seek to enter but are, will not be able to is the many of you. That is, the many of the, his Israelite listeners the many of his the crowds that are following him around. And this is a shocking message for his Jewish listeners in light of what they had believed. In the future, when the kingdom of God is established, many will be surprised to learn that they are not allowed entrance in. 
And Jesus uses then a parable in verse 25 to 27 to convey several truths to explain. First, that one day the door will be shut and it will be too late for you to enter. There, he's just used to describe in this parable, he describes that there will be some in, the, in that day in the kingdom of God, there will be some knocking on the door, you know, knock. And they're expecting the Lord to open the door to them. And, and they, really the whole picture here is a picture of, of a banquet in someone's house, a dinner at someone's house. And oftentimes the kingdom was described as a banquet where there would be a celebration. But here people are going to be knocking at the door to enter into this home. But he will not open the door for them. See, part of the narrowness of this door that he, Jesus causes to add to, to strive to enter through is that the opportunity to enter the kingdom is only open for a brief time. It's only open for a brief moment. It's only open in this brief life. Hebrews 9.27, as we've quoted many times, tells us that once you die, comes judgment, you will face judgment. Your eternal destiny will be set at the moment of your death. And the opening into the kingdom, uh, it will be, will be, if you have not entered in by then, you will be closed for you forever. See, the opening into the kingdom of God is now, today. You really, some of us are, are seeking the Lord, and I'm thankful for all of you. But if the Lord has revealed to you through the preaching of His Word of who Jesus is and what He's done for you, you understand that. You cannot say, you ought not to say, that you're going to believe tomorrow or I'll believe next week or I'll believe later on because you don't know if you will live tomorrow or next week or later on. Especially in our days of COVID-19, we do not have any assurance. You and I may die today, this week, or much sooner than you think. And when you die, it will be too late to respond to Jesus. The door is narrow. Second, in this parable of verse 25-27, he teaches his listeners, Jesus teaches that the narrow door, that one enters the narrow door through submission to the Lord and not association with the Lord. Submission to the Lord and not association with the Lord. See, twice the head of the house states, I do not know you, or I do not know where you're from. I don't know you, basically. You're not a part of this house. I don't recognize you. You're a stranger. Just as we wouldn't let strangers into our house, in the same way, he's going to treat these people knocking on the door on the outside as, as just the strangers. But in response, those on the outside are going to appeal to their association with the Lord to no avail. They're going to say, oh, we know you. We, we ate dinner with you. We, we listened to you teach. But sadly, there will be many in hell who personally ate and drank at the same table with Jesus. And there will be many in hell who personally heard him teach in their streets. You see, association with Jesus is not enough to save you. There will be many in hell who took communion at church. There will be many in hell who watched the church service and heard God's word preached. They will be there because they did not submit to the Lord's message. They thought that association was enough, but submission is required. The stinging rebuke from the master is that he says to him, Depart from me, all you evildoers. See, their main response to Jesus' gospel of the kingdom, the message that he preached, 
is what? What did he call for us to respond? Repent. Remember chapter 13, verse 3 and 5? Unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. And what follows after, along with repentance is the fruit that is in keeping with it. See, a repentant life will submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and will obey His commands. It will be a life that seeks and pursues to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love their neighbors as themselves. It will be a life that pursues after righteousness and peace and joy, characteristics of the kingdom of God. Therefore, Jesus thus commands His listeners in response to this description of this narrow door. He says, to strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive and emphasize intense effort Labor, the word actually, we get the word agonize from this. Make every effort. Now, this is not a command to work towards one's salvation. We're not saved by our works, we're saved by faith. But rather, there's this emphasis on working hard and responding rightly to the message of the kingdom. To make sure that we have responded rightly so that we may enter this kingdom. Work hard and make sure, be careful with it. And it begins with a right relationship with Christ. That you know Christ. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus taught that this is eternal life. This is how you're saved. That they may know, he's praying to God the Father, that they may know you, that is God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. See, eternal life is through knowing God and knowing and knowing God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And see, when you understand that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins on the cross, when you know Him, who He is, see, the only response is to repent of one's sins, confess Him as Lord, and place your faith in Him for your salvation. That's the only right response to knowing who Jesus Christ is. See, the door is narrow and it is shutting. And I would appeal to any of you that if the Lord is calling you, if you are sensing the God drawing you to yourself, if He has revealed to you who, what He has done for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have come to understand that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to this world and died for your sins and rose from the grave, you come to understand those, the facts of the Christian faith, then don't wait till tomorrow what you can do today. Respond today and believe and repent of your sins. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Not later. As a final exhortation to believe, Jesus teaches his listeners that others will enter the kingdom. Verses 28 to 30. There we read, in that, Jesus says, he continues on, in that place, uh, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Those who do know the Lord 
are described here as being on the outside, or those who do not know the Lord are described here as being on the outside in anguish and suffering because they're mis- they, are, they, will be, uh, they are missing out on the kingdom of God. And then particularly you'll be made painful because they're watching on the inside the patriarchs and the prophets of Israel, the very ones whom they had associated with, who had, they had identified with. They thought that uh, it's even Jesus' words here is almost one last uh, uh, judgment at the Israelites' futility of trusting in their physical descent from Abraham. They thought, oh, we're because we're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why we're saved. Or the fact that they had been those possessors and recipients of the law of God, that they had received that you know no other nation was sent the prophets, but these were sent the prophet. This nation particularly was sent all the prophets of God. And given the law of God. Therefore they, they assumed that that made them special. And would lead to their salvation. But here they are watching those same patriarchs. Those same prophets. In the kingdom of God. While they are out of the kingdom of God. And then furthermore. What makes even matters worse. Is that there are going to be those who enter this kingdom. From Everywhere else but Israel, from the east, west, north, south, all basically the Gentile nations will come and they'll be part of this kingdom of God. These who were not descendants of Abraham, these who were not recipients of the law, will be in the kingdom of God. These last ones would be first. And the first ones, the Jews, would be last. The familiar phrase of verse 30 is Jesus' way of simply saying that in God's kingdom, things are not often what you expect. Gentiles in this age would make up the bulk of the redeemed. But let us not forget that one day, Israelites in turn will at a future time enter into the kingdom of God just as God had promised because He is faithful. It's an application of this, uh, just some of these exhortations here. Let's not think like the Israelites did and miss the narrow door. You see, I'm afraid that many of you right now are out there right now, and you too might think that simply being born in a Christian family gives you confidence that you're saved. But being born, whatever physical descent you come from, does not bring you closer to God than anybody else. Having a, some of you might think that because you're part of a Bible church, you are taught a lot of Bible, you have a knowledge of the Bible, that that makes you more likely to be uh, more likely to be saved. But it would be wrong to to assume either of these thing, two things. Being born in a Christian household, having a knowledge of the Bible, no brings you no more closer to more likely to be saved than unbelie- than the one who is not born in the household, the one who doesn't have the understand the Bible. Because why? Because you possess a sinful nature just like everybody else. You are just susceptible to sin as everyone else. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life are all manifested in every one of us, in each of your lives and mine, no matter our background. If you particularly, if if you were raised in a Christian home, particularly if you come to have knowledge of the Bible, you should be more aware of that. Don't rest your faith in your Christian heritage or knowledge of the Bible. Rest your faith 
in Christ alone. And this leads to our second point. The second point that serves as a warning for us is that we learn that the door is narrow. But the second truth in verse 31 to 35 is that we learn that the door is Jesus. That the door, the, the narrow door is, is Jesus himself, really. And this is a, another warning that Jesus gives. It's a, really a warning to Israel again, but he focuses it upon the city of Jerusalem. As Jesus heads to Jerusalem, he receives a report from the, from the Pharisees that potentially threatens Jesus' plans. But Jesus' response here reveals, in verse 31 and 33, the inevitability of his death. The inevitability of his death. Look at 31 and 33 with me. Just at that time, some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. When we look at the warning that the Pharisees give Jesus, at face value, it just seems like they're, they're looking out for Jesus' safety. Um, they warn him of this threat by Herod Antipas. If you recall, back in chapter 9, verse 7 through 9, we had learned there that this Herod had, was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. He didn't like John the Baptist's message because John the Baptist was pointing out his sin. And, uh, and, he, and he, having heard about Jesus, was one who wanted to keep on seeing Jesus, but Jesus had somehow eluded him. And perhaps as he had killed the forerunner, now he was looking to kill Jesus. This Herod was uh, actually ruled, uh, he was a ruler a tetra, called a tetrarch of the regions of Galilee and Perea. Perea, which is basically across the Jordan River, the other side of the Jordan River. So it's likely that as these Pharisees come to him and tell him to, to leave here because he's in danger, he's, Jesus is probably still either in Galilee or in Perea. He's ran those regions or traveling in those areas. But are they really looking out for his best interests? When we recall that the Pharisees, according to Luke 53, 11, 53, and 54, that Jesus, they were opposed Jesus and were plotting against him, it's quite likely that the Pharisees here were trying to hurry Jesus up to leave Herod's region and head to Jerusalem, where then he could fall into the hands of the powerful Sanhedrin. Jesus' reply here, however, reflects his confident trust in the Father's will and protection. His message is to, he, gives a, he tells them to give a message to Herod. And his message is that Jesus is not going to hurry or rush God's plan. Jesus is not, even though there may be a, a genuine threat against his life, he's going to do what he has been doing. He's going to do what Jesus does. He's going to keep on casting out demons. He's going to keep on curing people. And presumably he's going to keep on preaching the kingdom of God as he heads towards Jerusalem. The term there, repeated twice, today and tomorrow and the third day or the next day in verse 32-33, basically our figure of speech for a daily activity. I'm going to keep on doing what I do, what I do tomorrow is what I'm going to do the next day and what I do the next day I'm going to do the third day. Basically, I'm just keeping, this is what I'm going to be doing. Jesus would neither rush nor delay his final entrance into Jerusalem despite Herod's threat. He's going to maintain his own timetable. He isn't afraid of Herod because he is fulfilling God's plan. Verse 
He knows that he will eventually inevitably arrive at Jerusalem exactly when the Father has planned. Jesus is very much aware in these words here that he is going to die in Jerusalem. The last parts of verse 32 33 convey that. He's going to eventually finish the work that he has started. He's eventually going to arrive in Jerusalem and perish there. He knows, Jesus knows that he is going to die in Jerusalem at the hands of his fellow Israelites. He must journey there to perish. He's not going to perish anywhere else. His last line in verse 33 really is a condemnation of Israel. Jerusalem, representing the nation of Israel, had a reputation for rejecting and killing God's prophets. And they would do the same with Jesus, who is the ultimate prophet. And their, their part in doing so would incur God's judgment. As we see in verse 34 and 35, the inevitability of Israel's judgment. Verse 34, 35, we pick up. Jesus then says, uh, it's a lament really, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And let's see the, re the repetition kind of emphasizing the passion here. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus explicitly mentions Jerusalem and Israel's reputation for killing the prophets of God. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51 to 52, there Stephen would repeat the same idea just before he himself is stoned to death. And though Israel rejected their prophets and will reject Jesus himself, nevertheless, Jesus expresses his loving compassion for the city and the nation. He wants to gather them like a hen gathers her brood. It's a picture of just loving care, protection. And though he wants to gather them in, it is they who would have none of it. They would not draw near to him. They refused him. It reminds us of what John wrote in John 1.11, that he came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. So Jesus pronounces a judgment upon the nation in these words. He says, Behold, your house is left desolate. Your house is left to you, literally what it says. I'm leaving it to you. These are words of divine abandonment. Each time that the nation of Israel would sin and would continue in sin, God would punish them at times by drawing away from them, allowing them to be taken into the, given into their own devices, allowing them to experience the fruits of their labors or their actions. Once again, He will leave them to their devices. Many see in this prediction, the prediction in this, in this judgment, a prediction of Jerusalem's destruction by Rome in AD 70. And that may be well. But however, in this text, the greatest judgment is not the destruction of Jerusalem, not the destruction of the temple. The greatest judgment is that Jerusalem will not see the Messiah again. They're not going to see his face again until he returns. The, quote, the, the passage that is quoted here is from Psalm 118, verse 26. 
A day is a, a, it's a, a messianic psalm that predicts that one day that Israel as a nation would, would cry out to God to save them as when he comes before to save and they will rejoice and they will, and they will bless him. The one who comes in the name of the God. You see, for the nation of Israel, they would become God's and withdrawn from them, would allow for them to have a hardening of their hearts. They would harden their hearts so that as a nation, they would not turn to them. And then even today, to this day as a whole, the nation of Israel does not see the truth of Jesus Christ and believe in him. And nevertheless, there is always God maintains a small remnant of faithful Jewish followers who worship Jesus the Christ. However, even in this, in this judgment, Jesus' words also offer hope for Israel. For there will be a time, and though he says they will not see his face again, there will be a time when they will, and they will cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. At the time of his uh, second coming, they will see the Lord and they will turn back to him. This will occur during um, what's known as the tribulation period or, or Daniel's 70th week prophecy. Israel will turn in faith in Jesus Christ. They will bless him. The Apostle Paul would also write of the scribes this partial hardening that happens to Israel as well as their, their future salvation. Some people think that Israel's chance is lost, but no, there's still a, a hope for, for Israel's salvation. He writes about Romans 11, 25 and 29, which uh, we, can, we studied on a different occasion. But Jesus' inevitable death and Israel's inevitable judgment warn his hearers that Jesus is the way into the kingdom of God. Jesus is the door by which they must enter to be saved. It is through his inevitable death on the cross that any who can enter and though it is at their hands, there will be a day where they will all turn and recognize what their fathers had done was wrong. And they will turn in faith in Christ. They will recognize Him for who He is, the door of salvation. As Jesus said elsewhere in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door, and if anyone enters through me, he will be saved. It will go in and out and find pasture. As we conclude, for us today, hearing this word should warn each of us to make sure that we have entered through the narrow door of Jesus Christ. Let us not make the mistakes of the Israelite here listeners of Jesus' day. The fact that God is allowing you and me to hear this word means that it's not too late for you to enter the kingdom. It's not too late for you to enter through the narrow door of Jesus Christ. I just let me pose three, just simply three questions for you as we for you to reflect upon in the, this day and this week. Question is: How do you know that you will enter the kingdom of God? How do you know? What basis? And the same question is: What do you rest your hope? to enter the kingdom of God upon? What do you rest your hope to enter the kingdom? What, are you resting it upon your, your, your church attendance? Maybe your giving? Are you resting it simply on the deeds that you do? 
Or are you resting upon Jesus Christ, the knowledge of Christ in Him alone? And then thirdly, if you believe that you are entering through the narrow door of Jesus Christ, if you are one who believes, I believe in Christ, I believe that He died on the cross for my sins, I believe He rose from the grave, and my trust is complete in Him, then ask yourself, does your life reflect this? Does it reflect a growing righteousness? Is your life characterized by more good deeds? Or is your life characterized by evil deeds? So when the kingdom of God comes, you don't want to be on the outside looking in and having Jesus say to you, I do not know you. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Let us make sure that we enter through the narrow door of Jesus Christ. If you're out there today, I invite you. You're not even seeking Jesus. and He's drawing you to Himself. Today you might turn from your sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ and believe upon Him. Enter through the narrow door. It is the only way to the Father and to the, into the kingdom of God. Let's make sure. Let's strive to enter through this door. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for these truths that remind us of the preciousness of Jesus Christ, the great sacrifice that he made on our behalf. That though he was sinless and did not deserve to die, he came and suffered a humiliating death. on the cross like a criminal so that all who repent and believe upon Jesus can be saved from our, what we deserve your wrath separation from you for eternity but we thank you God that you sent us your son we thank you that you sent him to come and live not only a perfect and righteous life to be our, an example, but to also then die in our place. So that we who believe might have our sins placed upon him and might receive his righteousness credited to us. So that one day when He comes again, when the kingdom of God is established, that we will have found ourselves on the inside of this kingdom because we have entered through the narrow door of Jesus Christ and Him alone. O oh Lord, help us to make sure that we are not entering or think we're entering because of our association with Jesus. Oh, because we attend church or because we uh, grew up in a Christian home, or because we uh, do the deeds, do good deeds in the name of Christ, that we give or we make sacrifices of our time and our resources. 
But Lord, all, while all of these things are good and, and are useful, none of them are what saves. And Lord, help us to know that it's only through the knowledge of you, through the knowledge of your Son, whom you've made known to us in your scriptures today. And Father, if there's anyone out there who does not yet know, or maybe even thought they knew, but today has come to realize that they have been living a life of lawlessness, a life of sinfulness. They have not truly repented and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that today you would now lead them, draw them to yourself, that they might right where they are, confess their sin to you, acknowledge that they have not been truly following after you, and that they might today receive Christ, repent and believe upon him, and enter through the narrow door that is Jesus. And God, we thank you for the promise and hope that one day Jesus will come again. And we thank you and promise that you are faithful to keep all your promises, and especially your promises to the nation of Israel. We thank you for this holy nation that you have chosen. We thank you that salvation is through them. And, that, and even though the partial hardening is taking place in the nation at this time, we know that you are faithful, that your promises are irrevocable, and that one day when you return, Israel, all Israel will be saved as they turn in faith in Christ. And God, we pray that until then, as long as we draw breath, that we would make sure that we are in the kingdom and that we would share this message, this good news, this really this message that makes any difference in this world to others. Thank you, Father, for the hope that it comes through Christ. And it is His name that we pray. Amen.